We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're talking about a win tonight. Let's go! Big win at Barclays Center. Nets to beat the Heat 117-113. Redemption win also ends the seven-game losing streak. But before we get started, as always, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTTBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, let's start with this comeback. Well, high levels at 100, Nick. You know, 21-10 to 10 run in that last quarter. You know, I was worried that the bench had been pretty poor all night. You know, Kyle Savert wasn't hitting shots. Literally none of them were positive in plus minus. DeAndre Jordan minus 20. Musa minus 7. Justin Anderson minus 7. Kyle Savert minus 11. TLC minus 18. But they held on enough and made enough clutch plays. I think that final play from Musa saving the ball of the Justin Anderson air ball really gave the team momentum. And I think this win was personified by hustle players like that. Yeah, a lot of hustle plays. Even, you know, in the comeback, Joe Harris getting that rebound over Jimmy Butler. That's a big-time play. Just extending possessions, and you love the physicality and the aggression the Nets played with. They weren't always hitting shots in this game, but they stayed true to what they needed to do, and they ended up winning the game. And another thing I like is guys who struggled. We talked about Karis LeVert, missed a lot of threes in this game. Torian Prince struggled in the first half. Joe Harris didn't have his best game, but they all made clutch plays at the end of this game that really mattered in pushing Nets to the win. Yeah, just one play at a time, Nick. And it just showed that the, the maturity from this team, I think that, you know, Kyrie and KD, the news around that, you know, certainly gives the team a, an intangible psychological boost. You know, I wasn't horribly confident throughout this game, but I think that there was some momentum and some good things that we spoke about on the OKC pod that they brought in. There was just good energy. Yes, there were lapses, but, you know, they put the lapses behind them and were able to re-engage. I know me and you weren't necessarily happy with the zone defense at times, but late in the fourth, that it actually worked quite a bit. And I think that the communication levels were certainly 
certainly much more there and everyone was more engaged you know Toy and Prince was, was was much better engaged on that end of the floor and they were just getting stops and those stops led to big buckets you know Jimmy Butler got a couple of good looks late and he's going to do Jimmy Butler things he's a clutch time player but the defense and the rotations when they did decide to go to that zone really did make a difference I, honestly, the zone probably won the game. It was horrible for the first three quarters and some of that fourth, but late in that game, all of a sudden the communication changed. I think a lot of that was having Spencer Dewey and Karis Levert at the top. Those two have some nice chemistry. Obviously, they have a relationship off the court, and they've been teammates for quite some time. And I think that makes all the difference when you play a zone is all that communication, that chemistry, and also having guys that aren't scared to be vocal. They have that relationship. So, hey, Karis, over here. Like, it's not a big deal where, you know, it's a new teammate or something or you don't quite have that chemistry. You saw a lot, a lot of times in that first half it led to open threes for the Heat. Funnily enough, I actually saw – I'm not sure if you noticed it, Nick, but I'm sure – some fans did but there was one time in the zone where Spencer Dinwiddie was back I'm not sure if this was in the third or the fourth and TLC was also on the perimeter and TLC got the switch and he's immediately barking at Spencer get back on Goran back back on Goran because Goran Dragic is an incredibly talented player and he can hit shots left right and center he's always been a Nets killer and it just showed to me that we've spoken about in the past how this team could sometimes be a bit timid and you not want to step on anyone's toes but tonight even really late in the, when there was a final nine seconds and Joe was you know taking those free throws Spence was trying to get the team together to go all right this is what we're going to do on the other end of the floor to me this the Nets really wanted this win it showed and they showed the hustle they showed the requisite execution and they got the win and god damn it am I happy yeah, and I think player communication from the entire team was up. You consistently saw Kyrie and Katie engage, talking to teammates, giving them tips. Even Garrett Temple, I saw him talking with Karis LeVert a couple plays in the fourth quarter. And communication is such a big factor when you have new teammates and just in general when you want to win games. And another thing I really liked about this game was the young players. Like we saw Jared Allen, we saw TLC, we saw Rodions all have good games against a really aggressive and physical Miami team that's one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, and I think that... It, it, they lifted their physicality to that extent too, Nick. You know, I think that, you know, Rodion's course, his defense at times on Jimmy Butler was outstanding. You know, yeah. a lot of, I think every single Nets fan who was active during this game on Twitter was like, where's Rody? Why is he on the floor? Because he had his best game of the season, 19 points, three rebounds, a steal, four or five from three, seven and nine from the field. He was truly great. But, you know, Coach can decide to go with Toyin Prince, and Toyin Prince got those big hustle plays of late. Can't necessarily argue against that. I take back every single bad thing. I besmirch Toyin Prince anyway because it led to this W at the end of the day, and and that's all that matters. And you know, Rodion's courts, fantastic game from him. TLC continues to earn his way into a full-time, fully-fledged NBA contract. He's playing some really good basketball, and yeah, I think the addition. Of, of having Karis Levert out there, you know, it allows, you know, these lesser players, you know, Musa, it just lessens their role, lessens their burden, and allows them to just do the little things and do the little things that much better. And I think Karis really helps, like you mentioned, with a lot of these guys getting him in position. Karis didn't have an amazing game, but one thing he did do well was initiate the offense. Coming off that pick and roll, he has a very easy time stopping at the free throw line and hitting somebody on the perimeter for a shot. They didn't all hit him, but it led to a lot of big opportunities, and it just made the Heat play a little bit differently out there, having another playmaker. And then when you had Karis and Spencer out there, it kind of made it a lot harder to blitz Spencer off those pick and rolls because if you hit Karis, he can create a play for somebody else. Yeah, and one thing, I, despite the fact that the Nets did shoot pretty damn poorly from the free throw line, 12 of 19, 
in the second half, they really made a point of actually getting there. They got into the bonus quite early. And I was just like, I hope that the, the guys continue to attack. And that's what they did. You know, Spencer Dimity took eight free throws. He only hit four of them. Joe Harris took six of them. Obviously, a couple of them were late as well. The, I thought that the aggression, I think in the first half, the Nets only took like five or something. Let me Three free the- throws and they were 0-3. I tweeted out the stat. So if you look at the second half, they were 12-16 from the free throw line, which isn't as bad. No, it's definitely not as bad. It's definitely a lot better. You're certainly getting there a lot more. And I think that that certainly was a, 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 t- a turn of sorts, Nick. But I think just overall, there was just big plays made by, you know, probably players are plenty. I think that even some guys at the bench, you know, Musa, that save, it's just like, that's what gets you minutes. That's yep. what actually, that's, that change, again, I'm going to reemphasize. I think that, I mean, the Joe Harris board was insane. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, my body did the, the normal usual things <laughs> when Joe Harris does his stuff. But when he's getting up there and he's getting strong, boy, oh boy, he's a big, strong man. But that save from Musa, you know, earlier in the season, I, I can't remember which game it was, but remember when Jordan and Prince just watched the ball sail out and they just didn't bother saving it? And then we yep. see Moose at this game be like, nah, I'm not accepting that. We've still got time to get a shot here. And it leads to a TLC three. And we tie up the game, heading into the fourth, little bit of momentum. I love it. And I think that's Musa kind of learning the NBA. You're not yeah. always going to be able to score and have an impact that way. You're going to have bad nights, especially when you're playing limited minutes. But one way to guarantee yourself to get into the rotation is hustle plays and good defense. And I think he's starting to do that as he kind of got kicked out of the rotation. Obviously, Temple was out, so he got some more minutes tonight. And he took advantage of them. Also, two or three from deep, and I thought that was a big boost too. But I think TLC, I want to talk about him a little bit more because you can really start to see his progression. He's really starting to get more comfortable offensively and defensively. He's starting to get that confidence where he's like, all right, I don't care who's on the other team. I'm going to defend them to a high level. And some credit goes to the Nets coaching staff because they put him on the likes of James Harden and some other superstars in this league. So now when he has to match up against like Goran Dragic, it's like, hey, I know I can do this. Yeah, and, and I think in, in that sense, Nick, you know, some of our, we've, I mean, we spoke about tonight the, the fact that the bench was quite poor, but in terms of making key plays to give the team momentum, you know, you, you throw away the stats at the end of the day, and TLC w- w- was superb, you know, hitting two threes, you know, rebounding the ball well, showing aggression on both ends of the floor. You know, I know a lot of people don't necessarily respect his ability to drive, but I kind of do. I just think sometimes he gets good defenders up there against him. I think he's pretty good there. And I like his moves around the rim for the most part. I just think he's not as polished as like a Kyrie Irving or a Ja Moran or these sort of guys who are just absolutely elite there. I just prefer guys to show that aggression. It's similar to Joe Harris. You know, Joe Harris doesn't have, you know, fancy moves around there. I mean, he does love the, the old reverse finish. But, you know, I prefer to see guys attack, get blocked, and then get back on transition D than sort of settle for, for mid-range jumpers or bad long twos. You know, TLC is earning an NBA contract, and he's earning a spot in this rotation right now. You know, I think in terms of, you know, what we're seeing right now from the Brooklyn Nets team, he's the perfect seventh or eighth guy off the bench. You know, we've really missed Nuava. We've missed Shumpert of sorts as well. But TLC is doing his best to replicate their sort of play and provide the team with energy on both ends. Yeah, you can see the improvements from him. And I think it's a real positive for the Nets coaching staff in general, not only him improving, but like we mentioned, you know, Rodion's getting back in the groove and having his best game of the season and maybe one of the best games of his career. I mean, seven and nine from the field, four or five from deep. And like you mentioned, I thought he did a really good job on Jimmy Butler, probably the best job on the Nets. 
yeah, I think he did as well. You know, there was a time where Spencer was guarding him and Jimmy just took him down low. He was aggressive. He took him up in the mid-range and he just did the old, you know, TJ Warren sort of style things. Like, he can't guard <laughs> me. He can't guard me. And then the Nets decide to switch to that zone, which was very clever by Kenny, you know. Just because something doesn't work sometimes, it doesn't mean it's not going to work a lot of the time, uh, every single time. And I think in that sense, the imagination, it reminded me a little bit of Nick Nurse. You know, Nick Nurse is willing to experiment as a coach and willing to look bad at times. Times, but he's willing to go back to things and, and experiment in the odd chance that it helps you win a game. And I think Coach Kenny tonight, despite some of, you know, obviously, you know, we would have liked to see Rody out there, but it doesn't matter. There were, I think overall tonight, his coaching was pretty good. You know, I think that the, the bench unit wasn't amazing, but you, you pointed out, Nick, when we were chatting in the DMs, that he did throw Joe Harris out there to provide a little more spacing. Joe can create his shot a little bit more, even though he does lack, you know, uh, amazing athleticism to get blow past guys. So for me, I, I thought Coach Kenny did what he did tonight, and I thought that it, it was pretty important at times. Yeah, I thought the first half he made some mistakes. I think going to the zone against certain lineups when they were putting out Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and even Myers Leonard. That's four floor spacers right there. So playing his zone against them is just asking for defeat. But I thought the lineup that the Heat closed with, they either only had one of, you know, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero out there, which I think makes an impact, and no Myers Leonard. So all of a sudden the floor is shrinking, especially when they're playing Derek Jones Jr., who no disrespect, you don't have to respect in the corner. So now all of a sudden I think it just worked. I think he adjusted in the second half and realized, hey, these are lineups that I can put the zone against. And then also I thought some of the adjustments he made late. And I think he went with his gut with the closing lineup. I think initially maybe he wouldn't have gone with Karras because he wasn't playing a great game. But he yeah. went with them went with him in those late minutes. And it really made all the difference because he probably hit the biggest shot of the game. Yeah, it was a, a massive shot, that massive three. And, you know, despite the fact that he goes three of nine from there, you know, we've we've made notes on, on Levert and Kuruts to the fact that their shot looks quite smooth right now. Uh, in the sense that they're just, they have the confidence to hit it. Yes, Karras looked a little bit short at times on some of his floaters and some of his pull-ups, but at the end of the day, you can't knock back the fact that he just made a big-time play. And to have the confidence to do so, to have the gall to do so, one of my uh, co-hosts of JVT loves to say that word, I'm going to steal it from him, had the gall and the cojones to really hit it. Um, I think that if we didn't have Karras out there, there was also times where, you know, the Miami defense is, is one of the best in the league and, and they can really lock down. So to have just a guy that can create a shot or just be out there and have the threat of a guy that create, can create a shot just changes things. And I think that if we didn't have Carol Savert tonight in the clutch, we might not have won this performance. You know, if we had had to put out, you know, maybe Rodion's or, or maybe, you know, uh, I don't even know who, who probably maybe TLC. It certainly would have made things tougher because... At the end of the day, Carol Severt has made big time plays in his career when it comes to clutch time. You know, he's made it, you know, there's a million gifts out there that represent it. And I'm sure Nick has about 5 million photos of them hanging on, on his <laughs> wall anyway. But it was it was big time. And, and I think that, I, I mean, the seven game losing streak certainly isn't amazing. But the two performances that we've seen of late is what we want from this Book of Nets team. And it, it shows that, yes, we may have lapses. But it shows that we don't have to let those lapses really get us down. We can re-engage and start to hit some shots and against some good teams. You know, OKC have been one of the best teams since uh, the new year. Miami Heat have been great as well. So this should give you confidence. And, you know, heading into Atlanta and Utah as well. Utah have probably been the form team at the NBA as well. 
you know, I think that I'm pretty comfortable with where this team is at. And I mean, we'll chat about KD and stuff, and we'll chat about Kyrie, obviously, as well. Good to see those guys on the court. We can chat about that as well, too, Nick. But I think we need to give this game the analysis that it deserves and the players the, uh, the analysis that they deserve because they stepped up big time. Yeah, and I kind of mentioned this to you off air. It reminded me of last season when they ended the losing streak against Toronto. It was yep. kind of that same vibe, a very good team. But I do want to dive deep into that last play on that, well, not the last play, but that big shot from Karis Avert. And the reason that happened is because of the synergy that Spencer Dewey and Karis Avert had. What he was trying to do on that play was set a pick for Spencer so he got the switch with Duncan Robinson and could attack him. Duncan Robinson didn't want to switch. He ended up leading, leaving Levert open, gave him a step, he hit the step back. Then you saw in the next possession, oh, they're going to put Duncan Robinson on Torian Prince. So what do they do? The same thing. The only difference was Torian Prince missed a three, and that led to the Joe Harris big rebound. But you love to see the Nets playing intelligent and working some of those switches that'll be really effective when they have Kyrie healthy. When you put, We kind of talked about it on the last show. When you have Kyrie, Karras, and Spencer, there's going to be a bad defender out there that you're going to be able to attack. And we kind of got a little sample size of that with Karras LeVert back. Yeah, and Miami are one of the few teams that probably, you know, I think Duncan Robinson has some good size about him, and he's not a bad defender by any stretch. But in terms of when you've got guys like Jimmy Butler out there, when you've got a Bam out of bio, you know, when you've got these really capable defenders, you know, you try to attack the weakest link that you can and do what you can to just try and force and, and get a bucket. And, you know, Joe Harris's two offensive boards were probably two of the biggest of his career. I'm, I'm sure he's done it a few times before. And, you know, as a stand as big as I am, I should probably have them all in, embedded in my long-term memory. But I'm just so damn hype about that big-time play. And, you know, the important thing was that he hit the free throws as well, Nick. Yeah, he did. I mean, he missed one, but that's okay. He hit three of four late in this game, which was really crucial. And I'll give Joe some other credit, too, is, you know, his shot wasn't really there tonight. His three ball just looked a little bit off. But six assists is a nice number for Joe Harris. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that in terms of... You know, we speak about Torian Prince at times when he's not doing, you know, the, the things and hitting the three ball and he can rebound it. What Joe Harris can do is, you know, he can provide, you know, physicality and hustle as well as pass the ball. And, and I think that, you know, 14 assists from Dinwiddie, six from Joe Harris, four uh, from Torian Prince, you know, another four from Karis Levert. The ball was moving tonight and it seemed to me that the players were moving. There was some cutting, there was ball movement, there was player movement. There wasn't as much stagnant play. And it just, as much as this team does love to play ISO basketball, also when you get in the pick and roll, it creates openings in so many other ways. And I think a lot of credit also should go there to, for me, Jared Allen, who I think had a really underrated game, even though he did put up a nice little double-double. Yeah, I thought, you know, the Nets moved the ball really well after that first quarter. They started to dominate the first quarter. They started out hitting all those threes and the ball was zipping. And then Miami came in with those blitz schemes and just trying to force the ball to Spencer's hand. And then things got really stagnant. But then they started to change the way they're playing offense in that second quarter and then the rest of the game. And they were zipping the ball around. And Jared Allen, you know, he did a great job of finding the open space. And a lot of centers will have this issue where their point guard's going to get double teamed. They're not going to do a good job of finding a spot for them to hit you. Jared Allen reacted, or the other guys on the floor did too, where Jared Allen would hit a spot that would force somebody else to be open. Yeah, he's playing smarter of late, Nick. And, and I think he's being smarter. And I mean, it's the, the key word that I think we associate with Jared Allen more than anyone. He's playing aggressive, you know, against yes. Myers, Leonard, and Bam Adebayo. You know, I think uh, we've... You know, probably last season, there was a really small gap or a much smaller gap between Bam Adebayo and Jared Allen. And now Bam is obviously playing all-star level basketball. He's a top 20, top 30 player in the OTG basketball 
basketball rankings. You know, he's playing insane level of basketball. But Jared Allen didn't let that sway him. You know, he defended him well for probably 90% of the game. I thought that both as as good as Bam Adebayo was, and, and, you know, he scored the ball well. You know, he's a nice little passer as well. I thought Jared Allen's impact was still there. I thought that defensively he was great. And in the pick and roll, he's... Obviously, developed so much synergy with Spencer Dinwiddie. He's he, uh, the same that can be said of Carlos Verde in seasons past as well. He knows how to get his guys into space. He's an amazing vertical threat. He's being more aggressive. Some of the shots, I think, when he does have the ball in his hands, he's always just getting short. So for him there, I would rather see a, a shot of his that he misses go long because then it, it shows me that he's following through. He's trying to like end the contact a little bit because a lot of them do end up short. But I'm nitpicking here a little bit. You know, three offensive boards as well, 11 points, 11 rebounds, a steal and a block. Jared Allen, incredibly important tonight. Yeah, I really like this defensive impact. You could feel him out there, especially with a lot of speed for Miami. And that oop he brought up, broke up late in the game against Bam was yeah. huge. That was a crucial yeah. play. And I, I could feel the difference. I wanted Jared Allen probably in a little bit quicker, but I think Kenny made the right choice because he came in really fresh. And then I posted the, uh, the, play on my Twitter account where he had Bam down the post, hit him with the one dribble, then the spin move, and then dunked on him. That's something we don't yeah. typically see from Jared Allen. And I think there is a level of confidence going against somebody that's around his age group where against some of these older vets, he's not necessarily confident and willing to attack. Against Bam, for some reason, he's willing to attack him. Yeah, and I mean, we'll take it in any day of the week. I think that overall, the team just looked more aggressive. And I think mm. that when the entire team is showing that level of aggression, you know, whatever you know period of the game it is, you know, it seeps into the players and you, you get that confidence yourself. I think that in this losing streak, you know, Jared Allen, I think against OKC was quite good, but overall in the losing streak, he's been performing as poorly as the team has been. And I think a lot of that is you feel the energy in, in, in any sort of team sport where but whatever intangible element it is, you know, the Nets have been timid, they haven't been executing, they've been playing a bit sloppy, a bit silly, a bit dumb. Whereas tonight... Yes, there were some dumb plays. Yes, there were some silly plays. Yes, there were some times you would get frustrated. But you they were made up for it by, you know, hustle plays of getting offensive boards, hustle saves, you know, hustle defensive plays, steals, blocks, all this. And, you know, I think that, you know, they're limiting the turnovers as well. I think, did the Nets have a turnover in the second half? I believe they did not. Which yeah, is and a, that's, that's an amazing stat for the Nets. Like, this is probably something we haven't seen in seasons. <laughs> we... He had nine turnovers at the half that led to 15 points for the Miami Heat. And, like, I remember just talking about the first half and it's just, like, the same old sort of thing. You know, the, the Nets are getting, you know, throwing the ball away and the Heat are making the most of it. The Heat have athletes. They've got guys that can do a lot of things on the floor. You know, what is this going to turn into? But the Nets just... And I, and I don't necessarily think it was anything, you know, revolutionary by the coaching staff. They were just playing better basketball just more fundamentally sound and and not letting you know the Miami Heat defense and the physicality and you know the coaching of Eric Spolstra really get to them they were just hard doing the things that they did well and again I, I, I'm I may overrate the the little plays that I've sort of spoken about and we've spoken about Nick maybe a little bit too much but when you're struggling and I've probably said this again three times and I, I don't care if I'm repeating myself it just makes the difference so much yeah, it's that energy, those energy plays. And I definitely think the positive news from yesterday helped give this team some vibes. And yeah. I also think Karis LeVert coming back, because you mentioned against OKC, they looked better too. And even that game against Toronto, I know they ended up getting blown out later in that game. But I think he provides some energy. And then just having a guy like Katie and Kyrie in your corner, and they were very engaged tonight giving uh, tips to teammates like we mentioned earlier. But let's spend some time on Spencer, who really bounced back from that OKC game. And he was playing at all-star level tonight. 26 points, 10 of 19 from the field, 2 of 6 from three and 14 assists 
Yeah, stud play. Yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie's a stud. And I think it shows the level of maturity, the level of capabilities, and just the the all-round, you know, he's the he's a star. He's an all he's playing like an all-star right now. And yes, obviously that one game might stick out to some people, but it shows a, a level of composure and a level of assuredness to be able to go, look, I played poorly and he owned up to it. You know, I put that in my recap for netsrepublic.com. You know, he took responsibility for that and he's like, look, I'm going to step up and I'm going to make sure that my team, you know, feels my presence out there. You know, to have 14 assists on any for any player, whether you're Chris Paul or whether you're Spencer Dimwitty, it's insane. And obviously, you know, the Nets had 31 overall, but obviously we would have liked to see Spencer hit maybe a couple more of those free throws to give us a little bit more breathing room. But he did continue to be aggressive. And, you know, his alley-oop play with both of the bigs right now, you know, like we've sort of said on previous pods, he's developing a Lob City 2.0 out here in Brooklyn. He's just playing really clever basketball, really smart basketball, really aggressive. And I think we spoke a little bit as well. There were times where he got frustrated, but I think maybe some of it is as well. I saw at the start of the game, you know, we spoke about how DJ um, was speaking to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in what looked to be a really, you know, enthralling conversation uh, off the, off the, on the bench. But he, there was also a part at the start of the game, really early on, where the cameras on the Yes Network were on uh, Kyrie and Spence, yep. and Kyrie was sort of just telling him to do, do these sort of things. And I felt like it was him just recognizing, he's like, "Look, they're giving you this. You keep going. You keep going." And I think that uh, having it, might not mean a lot, but having the presence of, you know, two of the best superstars in the game right now, it, it just changes things. And obviously, when you come back home, it lifts the team. And obviously, you know, you talk about the external news, but just purely and objectively speaking, having, you know, your friends, your teammates, mentors there to help you play the game definitely has an impact. Yeah, I thought Spencer just did an excellent job attacking tonight. And he consistently did it. And any time Miami gave him a step, he went to the rim. And that wasn't what we saw against OKC. You know, whatever was wrong with him in that game, he put it behind him. And tonight, he was attacking. And the Heat have some quality defenders out there. It really didn't matter. And I think he also felt really confident attacking their bigs. Like, he was not scared of Bam. He wasn't scared of Leonard. So, props to him for really stepping up in this game. And like you mentioned, the 14 assists are incredible. But a quick shout-out to his off-ball defense. That's something that really stuck out to me tonight. Yep. Not only the communication, but he got his hand in there for a couple backdoor cuts and led to two steals. Yeah, I, I th- and. And he, you know, he had a block as well. I, I thought that he was impact. He was impacting on both ends of the floor. And I really wanted to do a Brody on Skorowitz breakdown, but I'm going to be forced to do a Spencer Dimity one. It was great tonight. And for me, he cut down on those pull-up threes. Again, he missed them. <laughs> I'm going to keep harping on it. But he every single time, you know, when Karis Levert feeds him or Joe Harris feeds him or DJ feeds him, he hits them because he's just so much fundamentally better at hitting those shots off the catch. And, you know, if I was to look up these stats of late, you know, when he's hitting them off the catch, he'd be nigh on 50, 45%. He's just so fundamentally smooth and his mechanics are amazing. But, you know, he just doesn't have the, the right balance and, and whatever it is when he's taking those pull-up shots. And two Six from three is, is good enough. It's above his you know season average, uh, and they were crucial players. And you know, a, a, an amazing, amazing night for Spencer Dimwitty. Set the tone. Wasn't going to let this team lose. Yeah, and with that three point shot, it almost feels like he shoots differently for his pull up shots than his catch and shoot shots. Like his mechanics are not the same. It's almost more like a catapult when he's bringing the ball a little bit lower. I feel like on the catch and shoots, and then on the pull ups, he's putting a little bit higher, so he's not getting the same momentum for. So his shot is almost different for those two type of shots. I know pull up threes and catch and shoot threes are still different in a fact, but usually the mechanics base are still the same. 
Yeah, and, and I think in that sort of sense, he's he's mentioned before that he worked on it, you know, quite you know consistently in the off season. And you know, when it's you're not seeing the ball go in the basket, you know, you try you change certain things yep. ever so slightly. And you know, the mechanics of a catch. You know, we we look at Joe Harris. You know, and obviously we looked at Toyin Prince of late, who was one of ten tonight. You know, it seemed to me that you know he would it, sometimes you know he, he, especially one of the shots that he took tonight just looked incredibly ugly and you know i think that hopefully this these little plays of late you know you could see you know when he was on the bench he was like happy frustrated you know when the the camera would pan to him, he was like okay this is about time this is gonna lift me this is gonna lift me and hopefully he can take that momentum into you know i, I think he's probably due for a big night against his former team he seems to uh, most players seem to step up against their former squad so hopefully we can see him and joe both in the three ball because both of them in the past couple of games have shown a little bit but if we're winning games it doesn't matter and the team overall wasn't horrible you know 34.1 percent you know we've spoken about before since Kyrie irving's been down the nets have been the worst three-point shooting team and despite the fact that we do have very capable three-point shooters on the on the team, um, the, the fact that we were able to you know hit 35% against the Miami Heat team and limit them to seven of 29 from the yeah, perimeter. and I think uh, yeah, and I think uh, Torian Prince, another positive for him, he was one of 10 from three, but he hit all of his two-point attempts. And I thought yeah. he was a little bit better driving to the lane tonight. I just felt a little bit more comfortable where he wasn't doing as many of those weird moves that he typically does. We even saw a dunk tonight, which is probably like his second of the season. Yeah, I, I think one area that he looks comfortable in is when he's about around that five to eight foot range, where he sort of stops, props, and hits a sort of mini fader. He seems yeah, he really had a nice one over on Tyler Hero. That. Yeah, he seems really comfortable on that shot. And you know, obviously, if he's got an open lane, he's going to attack it um, for the most part. And he doesn't have the the dexterity and the sort of the, the skill to, to finish with you know multiple different moves. But I don't mind him stopping on a dime and, and finishing from close range because I feel relatively confident in his skill set from there. And I think he just feels comfortable shooting jumpers. You know, he seems to me like a guy that loves to shoot jumpers, loves to shoot the shoot his shot, as uh, as we like to say. But yeah, I think all, all the players tonight, Nick, other than Justin Anderson, who we don't really need to speak about at all, um, made some sort of an impact at some stage of the game that helped this team win. Yeah, I even thought DeAndre wasn't great in the first half, and I thought in the second half he did a couple nice plays out there, especially with his physicality. And then also him and Spencer developing this chemistry where they're not even running a pick-and-roll. DeAndre's just straight-up diving to the basket, and he's just throwing the oop up to him because the defender's either flat-footed or he just feels confident going to him. Yeah, I think that we've, and some fans, and, and maybe even us, we've had some skepticism about, you know, does DJ still have the hops? And there was one minute that he had and I think that that was because he didn't get the the requisite grip on the ball I think he tried to just yam it with one hand but when he's got the two hands and you know he's certainly finished in plenty of oops this season you know Jared Allen I think you know is having at least you know a dunk or, or, or three a game I think he's fourth in the league in dunks I think I saw Nets Daily tweet out he's had about a hundred of them he's been you know super and you know that's been because of the players and now Carol Savert too. He's certainly opening up some uh, some lanes for our big men and, and, and getting them some open looks down low. But Jack, anything else you want to touch on for this game in terms of the players or we should move on to the team a little bit, especially that offensive rebounding? Just really impressed with the, the, the comeback, Nick. The, the sort yep. of... 
the the ability to go all right there was some things that happened in that OKC game and and it goes from the coaching staff down and you know to see obviously and obviously we, we haven't even spoken about the fact that two of our rotation guys that have played you know extended minutes Wilson Chandler and Garrett Temple weren't even out there so you know you're forced to give extra minutes to TLC to to Karis Levert you know he still only played 24 minutes tonight you know Anderson was thrown the uh, a couple of minutes here and there and Musa as well to to be able to you know replace those guys who have been you know they haven't been a Amazing, but you know, just guys that are have been key parts of our rotation. It shows that this team has that next man up mentality, and they were able to actually, you know, really execute when it really mattered. Now, obviously, this was a one-game sample size, but did you feel like the team was quicker out there without Garrett Temple and uh, Wilson Chandler? It seemed like they were pushing the pace a little bit. And yeah, the pace seemed. I don't know if it was the Heat or the Nets, but the pace definitely was higher than what we've seen in the past couple games. Yeah, and to you know, obviously to score 117 points and to take 93, have 93 shooting possessions uh, as well. You know, it, it you generally are going to be pushing the pace somewhat. And in that sense, there were times where the, the team looked somewhat erratic. You know, they were pushing yeah. a little bit too much. It looked a little bit out of control. So obviously, there is a healthy balance to that. Sometimes, you know, I know in, in these previous performances, I've wanted the team to sort of like you know get going a little bit. Let's not. We don't. We're not. We don't need Chris Paul. We're not. We don't have. We're not an amazing half court team. So let's push the push the um, push the pace a little bit, push the effort, and let's try and put Miami uh, under some under some pressure because they are a good defense. But any team when you know you're trying to push them a little bit, you know, getting here and there, you know, getting the rebounds and, and really getting out in transition, it's going to make all the difference. So I did notice that today, Nick. I'm not sure how much uh, it had an effect. I'm sure it had some probably to the positive and negative effect. But it shows that, you know, you just have to have that, you know, general balance in your game. You know, at the they always say, give do, you give, uh, you play at whatever the game's giving you. And today, then, that's able to push a little bit. But I'm not sure. I mean, against Atlanta, you know, we don't want to get into a 180, 170 shootout because that team will probably push it quite a bit as well. We just need to do whatever it is the game is giving us on both ends of the floor. Yeah, transition D will be huge against Atlanta. I thought it was kind of rough in the first quarter of this game, but the Nets started to clean it up, and obviously they turned the ball over a little bit less. But again, it's Atlanta, a team that's going to shoot a lot of threes and try to push the ball as much as possible and need to take care of that. But, Jack, anything else you want to touch on in this game? Should we touch on the Kevin Durant-Kendrick Perkins beef? Uh, we can. Let's beef it up, man. Let's beef it up. Okay, so I don't have the tweets in front of me, but essentially last night – Kendrick Perkins put KD's name in his mouth when he was saying Russell Westbrook was the best player that ever played in OKC. Now, I'm going to, to give... I mean, Kendrick Perkins is my mortal enemy as well. So that, <laughs> the fact that Kevin Durant got into a, a beef with him feels like Kevin Durant is getting into a beef with him for me. And, and it just what works out. What a good out. friend. I mean, he's just a good guy. Number seven, man. I'm going to get one of those jerseys for sure. But then also... I mean, oh, I need, yeah, I need to grab one, that's for sure. And obviously, they were speaking about it. There was tweets back and forth. And it was weird because you thought it was ending. It was like, you know, uh, you tried though, champ. That was the best one. Whenever you champ someone, I'm not sure if it's an American. It's definitely an Aussie thing. I'm not sure what it's like. Uh, in in America, when you call someone champ, but it's like a subtle little brother dick. It's like when you know LeBron James would call you know Kyrie Irving his little bro, and like sort of it was like sunning him in a way, sort of like 
looking at him in a lesser way. And obviously Kendrick Perkins, as uh, Katie did the delving, he went on basketball reference. He got those stats, two points and three rebounds, absolutely epic performance. But they didn't win playoffs until Kendrick got there, Nick. So, I mean, clearly Kendrick Perkins is the key reason why Oklahoma City won playoffs and not due to the fact that Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook and James Harden were freaking babies and have barely played basketball and couldn't even touch alcohol yet. And Kendrick Perkins was on the jump. I only saw part of it. And he tried to say that he gave up so much to play on this team and allow those guys to have success. Kendrick Perkins, you're not that talented of a basketball player. You were an enforcer and you did your thing, but stop. Stop talking about Kevin Durant. And a lot of, I thought it was really funny today that so many ex-NBA players just went at Kendrick Perkins. We're like, bro, you need to stop talking. And it, I'll read the tweets. I pulled them up in front of me. So that, uh, Kendrick Perkins was responding to somebody else. He said, Katie lost in the second round without Russ when I was there. So what that mean? And then Kevin Durant said, yeah, our starting center, center Kendrick Perkins averaged a whopping <laughs> two, point, two and three during that series. You played hard, though, champ. Kendrick Perkins responds. Boy, boy, stop. You did the weakest move in the NBA history. You Up on the team 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals, then go and join them the following season. Heart of a champion right there. And then Kevin Durant says, weakest starting at center, playing real minutes with no production. You should have worked on your skills as much as I did. I mean, he really demolished him. And, like, I thought these guys were kind of friends, but I don't know, I don't know after this. It feels like that. I'm, I'm not. No, in fact, I'm not going to analyze this objectively, but I'm going to try to. And I've listened to a few other NBA things. I did watch the jump and analyzing just the responses from each other and the, the you know, the back and forth, the jabs, the, the hooks. Kevin Durant seemed to me just like better insults. Whereas, you know, obviously every single person's going to be like, oh, you, you go to a different team yeah but he also did one to win two finals mvp while he was over there it's i mean it's the low-hanging fruit whereas kevin around was able to go at kendrick perkins in a way where it's just like dude you are not in my lane i'm going to champ you i'm going to sun you you've gotten two points and three rebounds you are not a good basketball player you know draymond green insulted you while you were sitting on the bench in a suit when the Cavs were about to lose the finals you don't have any impact on the NBA history. Kevin Durant is going to go down as an absolute all-timer. Even if he doesn't play a game for this Brooklyn Nets team, you are going to be another mismemory, another just forgotten player that we now see spew a bit of BS on ESPN now because those guys are, what given, are what's given platform over true NBA analysis. And I'm going to give a shout-out to my guy, Madden AQ here. This literally made me laugh when he put it out there. He said, Kendrick Perkins is the human embodiment of barbecue sauce. (laughs) (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) Yeah, God. Kendrick Perkins. I mean, like, realistically, Kendrick Perkins couldn't even play in the NBA nowadays. And I'm not talking about at his age. If he came in as a rookie, his game does not fit the current NBA. He would get exposed for his lack of uh, quickness and athleticism. So he just should keep it quiet, enjoy his checks from ESPN. But, Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? I mean, there was Kendrick Perkins seems to have not let this go. I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant is. I mean, we saw Rich Kleiman speak to the media, and he's just like, and everyone's sort of like, why is Kevin Durant doing this? Why does he keep responding? Because we spoke about it on the previous buzz, and how he's just responding to fans in general. He likes doing it, like, and it was just like, well, LeBron James doesn't do it. It's just like. If Kendrick, if Kevin Durant wants to respond to these guys, let him have a bit of fun. This is what Twitter's for. Let him give those guys a bit of clout. He's giving Kendrick Perkins clout right now. He, he, 
their feud overshadowed Russell Westbrook's return. And <laughs> Kendrick Perkins was like, ah, I'm, I'm sorry to Russell Westbrook that I overshadowed. I'm just like, dude, like, you were the one that, like, reignited the feud, essentially. Kevin Durant had it done with. You know, he had the shaking hands emoji. And then you brought it back. And it was just like, he also came on, I think he spoke to some uh, Brian Scalabrini uh, on a radio show. And he, he went hard at Kevin Durant. He's like, he needs help. That's what he needs. He needs help because the guy's not in his right mind, bro. Just think about it. You a guy who has worked and is worth over 300 million or 400 million. Who cares? You the back-to-back finals MVP. Who cares? The most sensitive guy in the world. You don't see LeBron James arguing with people on Twitter. And you don't see Anthony Davis. You don't see Russell Westbrook. But guess who you do see? You see Kevin Durant. Seems like a lack of insecurity there. Oh, like, well, then, I, I don't know if Kevin Durant is insecure, then how insecure you must be to go on every single platform known to man to keep yourself to give you that clout. Champ, just uh, just take the L, my guy. I mean, and the people putting out polls as well, like, who won it? And it's just like, these polls aren't going to be accurately reflective of actually who, if you're an objective person who analyzes this, like we do, Nick, on the Brooklyn Buzz, we are purely objective analysis. There is no bias at all from us as Brooklyn Nets fans whatsoever. (laughs) Haiti absolutely knocked him out. And the fact that he's let it go just shows that, you know, who's truly the the insensitive, who's truly the sensitive one here right now, Kendrick? You're still going with it. Kendrick was on the court. Kevin, Kevin Durant was too busy helping his teammates, chatting to DeAndre Jordan on the court, lifting his teammates and wanting to get a win. Whereas you're busy, you know, going on whatever radio platform you can to keep that clout, my guy. You know, keep going with the clout. Do you think, champ? Yeah, and I mean, also, like, he just killed him when he said you average two and three in a playoff series. Like, that's atrocious. And you play close to 30 minutes or 20 minutes in that series. That's bad. Most players could do that with ease. And also, like, Oh, LeBron doesn't respond. LeBron posts like a hundred things on his Instagram story. Like he enjoys the clout to the highest extent. He just kind of puts himself on a higher pedestal where he doesn't have to respond. So I'm all for KD responding. He enjoys it. Who really cares? It's awesome that the fans can interact. And I loved all the NBA players, ex-NBA players jumping in. And Gilbert Arenas, I think it was, brought up a great point. The reason KD went to Golden State is because everybody's talking about rings and pushing that narrative so hard. So obviously, if he's accomplished everything else in the league, All-NBA, All-Star, MVP, what's the next step? Championships and finals MVP. He did that, he left, and he's on a new team trying to do it again. Exactly, exactly. I'm going to, before, we'll, we'll let Matt Barnes have the final say as well, Nick. You know, he, I liked his response as well. He's like, as former players that have transitioned into media, we have a huge responsibility to keep it 100 no matter what. So many people in media twist things and say shit to go viral. Viral. Everybody know KD has always been the best player on every team he's been on. Perk that shit weak as <laughs> F. People may not like the decision, KD, to join the Warriors. You're entitled to your opinion. When I say keep it real, I may, I mean separate how you feel about KD the person from KD to play. You can't deny his talent. You may not like him, but he's one of the greatest ever play. And I think that it was almost, if Kendrick Perkins had have written, you know, he's the greatest player to play for OKC, like uh, the greatest OKC player. Yeah, that's right. Because he's had the long, Russell Westbrook's had the longest tenure with the Thunder. You know, you can, but like best and greatest are two very different things. And I don't think Kendrick Perkins knows synonyms and adjectives well enough to be able to change them. And maybe he did it deliberately. Uh, I mean, in fact, I don't think he did it deliberately. He's not smart enough to do it deliberately. But (laughs) in that sense, if he had have just changed one word, this beef wouldn't have happened. But it provides content and it makes for fun talking and, and fun fodder. But, you know, seriously, Kendrick Perkins to... Quote the the high and honorable Mr. LeVar Ball, stay in your lane.
Yeah, <laughs> LeVar Ball making an appearance on the Brooklyn Buzz. Uh, <laughs> I, I just want to thank, you know, Kendrick Perkins, all the Knicks fans, all the haters for motivating Kevin Durant because now there's no doubt in my mind he's going to come back as a dominant player. So on that note, Jack, I think we should wrap it up. And as always, you can find the buzz on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Cheers, champ. <laughs> Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.